Hansel? Hansel? Mm, that's good. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to Backstage Gaming. Dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And I'm free as a fucking bird, you guys. Oh, have you finally moved on? I I did it. I shuffled off this mortal coil, by which I mean my... Well, okay. I'm not free yet, but a week from the day that you hear this episode, I will be free. Um, nice. I succeeded in my quest to get a day job that saps my soul a little bit less. I now have a new day job with more set hours so I can devote more of my time and know that I can devote more of my time to doing creative things. And my dude, it feels fucking good. <laughs> I have a paying job, so I I am currently happy. But We're both yeah. living the fucking dream. <laughs> I don't know that this new job is going to be my dream job. I doubt it is because it's not doing voiceover and theater full-time. But, man, does it feel good to just, like, have a little bit of forward momentum and, like, yeah. know that I'm going to have a little bit more money and a whole lot more reliable time. Yeah. Also, I'm thrilled that you have a job because I know that that was causing you no end of stress. It was... I mean, like, there was that whole month of March where I was like, am I am I moving again or am I staying yeah. here? Yeah, So uh, I, I did have to sort that out. But, but either yeah. way, I'm glad that you've got, like the means to do some saving and the means to do some planning for whatever the yeah. next steps are going to be. So yeah, guys, capitalism um, sucks, but boy, howdy Dylan and I are winning at it right now. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> there We're, is no winning in capitalism. Fair enough. <laughs> Unless the, you're Jeff Bezos. I was going to say winning in cap in capitalism is being Jeff Bezos, who I can now say, fuck you, Jeff Bezos. You don't own me anymore. <laughs> hey, I will no longer pawn your produce Bezos. Sell that your sounds, own crawdads. It, it sounds like he's like the queen of an ant colony or something. <laughs> like, not ant colony, but like an alien colony. No, no, he's the queen of an ant colony. He's the only one who can produce children and everyone needs to fuck him. <laughs> hey, we talk about video games on this podcast. Let's do that instead. <laughs> Are you sure this isn't the weird, like, kink Jeff Bezos hour? <laughs> I mean, that'll be our next Patreon stretch goal. <laughs> So, good. Lord. Hey, everybody. Uh, we're we've got a fun one this week. We've got one that has been on the docket to talk about since like we started this fucking show, and we finally got around to actually doing some research. So, uh, let's uh, let's dive in. We're gonna be talking about an old form of theater that does not exist anymore, and how it has influenced games. And Boy, howdy, I hope we're up to it. Um, or at least maybe how it's comparable to games. I'm not yeah. entirely certain that, like, it's a one-to-one, -one, like, this influenced this. Oh, yeah, there's there's going to be some nuance here, but I think it'll be an interesting thing to dive into. We're going to be talking about something that is called Commedia dell'arte. Uh, Commedia dell'arte is an old form of professional theater that originated in Italy, and it's very strange. <laughs> so <laughs> the basic construction of a piece of Commedia dell'arte theater is you start with a scenario that is a essentially like a prefab problem and for the most part they're pretty standard like there are young lovers being kept apart by the will of the father or 
there's a servant who made a mistake and has to outwit his master to fix the problem. Or, you know, these sort of, like, very arch-household-nobility-type problems. Yeah. All of which are performed by a group of actors playing stock character roles. Yes. So more or less the same, like, half-dozen characters appear in absolutely every one of these things. Um, and this is, I think this is going to be, like, the meat and potatoes of what we talk about today. Yeah, but the, the you, largest aspect... Yeah, the largest aspect of what we're going to sort of be looking at is this idea of the stock characters that was introduced by Commedia dell'arte. Uh, but they're all, again, much like the scenarios, they're all very much kind of broad concept characters. So there's characters like uh, Arlecchino, which is where we get the word Harlequin. Uh, Harle mm -hmm. Harlequin. Harlequin, who's like the mischievous servant who gets into trouble and gets out of trouble all the time. I think uh, um, when we were in school, the... <laughs> character that was compared to the Arlecchino was like Bugs Bunny. Like yeah, that, Bugs that Bunny kind of, is very classically... Like, very witty, like, always gets himself into trouble, but is always, like, confident that he can get out and, like, he outwits everyone and makes it to the end of the story all right. Yeah. Actually, let's use Looney Tunes to just go down the line because, holy cow, it works Actually, really well. Actually, wow, yeah. <laughs> uh, next one that I wrote down is Il Dottore, who is, like, the insufferable know-it-all, uh, usually, like, a doctor or a professor or some kind of, like, learned man, but just, like, pompous as all shit. So, um, not unlike Daffy Duck. <laughs> Daffy, like, it's like Daffy Duck fused with Foghorn Leghorn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, got... I would say the next one is more Foghorn Leghorn, along with Yosemite Sam. That's fair, that's fair. But anyway. Uh, yeah, Il, Il Capitano, who is the, like, pompous, cocky military man, you know, a soldier with all of the, like, cockiness that comes along with that. Foghorn Leghorn, not bad. I was also thinking, like, Elmer Fudd kind of fits into there, but, like, Elmer Fudd is less competent. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, Elmer Fudd doesn't really strike me as uh, pompous, but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Then you've got uh, the Inamorati, who are a pair of, like, the classical star-crossed lovers. Like, they're hopeless yeah. romantics, usually... This, like, a lot of the stories would focus on the Inamorati's inability to come together for whatever reason. Pyramus uh, and Thisbe, or Romeo and Juliet. Yes, As, very like, tragic so. examples. Uh, um, or in Looney Tunes, uh, Pepe Le Pew and the Scared Cat, I guess. Sure, sure. If we uh, really want to force that angle. Yeah, I mean, I, we're, we're halfway through. <laughs> then you've got uh, Pantalone, who is the, like, wealthy and foolish old man. A lot of the plots That's would involve, Elmer like... Fudd. Yeah. Elmer Fudd there. Very, very hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of the plots would involve things like Arlecchino losing some of Pentalone's money and having to get it back. Things like that. And then there's a couple of... Uh, like, we don't have to get, go too in the weeds on... Like, there. I also wrote down well, there's Colombina, who's like a perky maid. There's... The I sad clown character. is going to be pretty relevant, so... Oh, yeah, that's I, fair, I yeah. That's worth uh, yeah, maybe not a Looney Tune, but, like, yeah. you know, there's the Columbina. That's important. It'll come yeah, up later. Fair. Uh, and then also Pierrot, who is a sad clown. <laughs> I forgot about Pierrot. I don't know I don't know where Pierrot usually fits in on the story. I think he's just there for slapstick most of the time, but there you go. Like, why is it always a, sla a sad clown? <laughs> <laughs> why can't clowns? Make clowns happy 2019. <laughs> But yeah, so you've got all of these stock characters in these stock situations, but then what sort of sets it apart is the stock situations are not strict scripts. 
their problems and solutions, but then all of these actors playing these stock characters had a lot of freedom to improvise on stage. Yes. And the exact ways that the plays would play out were all improvised by the actors using what they, they knew would... about the characters they were playing, using what they knew about the scenario that they were they had to offer, but then also using this like fascinating little piece of theater history called a lazzo, or plural lazzi. Yes. Uh, and these are stock jokes or stock pieces of physical comedy or stock like humorous moments it's just the, like let me whip this out of my belt yeah and like phrasing the, but yeah yeah let me let me just pull this out of my butthole dylan <laughs> <laughs> um but so like no i don't have chris the not safe for work podcast is for patreon <laughs> Mm. Mm. <laughs> so so the Lotsi are really cool because they're these little moments that all of the actors would know what they are. A lot of the audience would know what they are because they were just tools of the trade that you could slide into any of these scenarios when they made sense, given your improvisation. And so if you came to a moment where it was like the guy playing Arlecchino was like, ah, this is a good moment for the Lotsi of Pantalone's pants falling down. You could just do that. And, like, all of the other characters on stage, all of the other actors would know, like, oh, that's what this guy's going for. Let's go along with this and support this moment that we've decided to have. It's it's a really freestyle style of theater. Yeah, it's, um. like, it's not quite as loosey-goosey as, like, modern-day improv. No. It's honestly somewhere, it falls somewhere on the spectrum between true um, improvisational acting and the, like, sketch style that Saturday Night Live takes yeah where like it's not quite as scripted as the sketches that saturday night live settles on but it's a little more scripted than just like give me a give me a place for a scene to happen we're doing a scene now these um, stock archetypes are done by characters who have really their entire career has been training to learn that one archetype and do it to the best of their ability and know all the things that particular archetype has to do. Exactly. So it's like, hell, we could even tie that into fighting games if we wanted to, but let's not go too off the deep end here. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, the, the benefit of this, uh, from a storytelling perspective, is that the audience already knew these characters. None of these plays had to do any work, at least after Commedia dell'arte became popular. None of the characters had to do any work, and none of the scenes had to do any work to characterize or develop these personalities. You saw someone come on stage in the Arlecchino costume, because there were also, like, set costuming ideas that went along with all these characters. You see someone come out dressed like Arlecchino or dressed like Pantalone, you know who they are, you know what they're going to be like, and you know what they're going to be bringing to the scene. You don't need to do any, like, legwork to introduce these characters to the audience which is like a real strength of this kind of theater and to just sort of like to provide a leapfrog before we dive into the gaming side of things modern sitcoms would not be possible without these ideas that were introduced in uh commedia dell'arte like a sitcom is a piece of commedia theater all of the characters kind of fit this same like maybe not the exact archetypes but the reason that a sitcom is able to work is because you introduce that like this character is the one who's long-suffering. This character is the one who's bad with money. This character is the grumpy old man neighbor. And then you just plug those characters into different situations and see what comes out. 
you know, say what you will about there are some very good sitcoms, there are some very bad sitcoms. Mm -hmm. That style of storytelling is very effective for the kind of stories that they wanted to tell. And now, let's talk a little bit about how these same tools can be used in some games that you might like, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> we are starting with... Are we going to start with Final Fantasy? Let's just start with JRPGs. Yes. Um, because I think, you know, this applies to, like, a lot of Japanese media. But, you know, with a JRPG, you have a party, and each party member has their own distinct personality, which, you know, to the untrained eye... <laughs> is just a stock character. And, like, yes, that that is true, that, like, JRPGs fall into sometimes the trap, sometimes the blessing of being tropey. But I think kind of what I really wanted to touch on and what the start of this conversation was is that I think there's this huge difference between English dubs and Japanese dubs of various Japanese media where there's a common criticism with English voice actors when they do a performance, they get criticized for it just being their voice or, like, they're not getting into the character enough in a weird way. And I think a huge portion of that mentality is that, like, you know, when I hear an English performance of a character that is based on this very Western idea, Western insofar as, like, American, uh, British idea of, like, a character's performance is just that actor doing what they would do with those characters' circumstances. Whereas um, this Commedia dell'arte and, you know, presumably a more Japanese form of storytelling is to kind of embody these characters, embody the quirks that people associate with that stock archetype. So if you look at something like Persona, for example, you have the the uh, the tomboy, you have the the shrine maiden, you have the best friend character, you have the delinquent. Uh, these are all character archetypes that exist and have their own mannerisms. Yeah, which you can hear in the Japanese voiceover. Like, I do not speak Japanese, but like, boy, howdy, do I love listening to the original Japanese voiceover work in games like this because you get these like very consistent from experience to experience and from actor to actor, like, you can have three different Japanese actors all voicing the same type of character, like all voicing the, you know, troublemaker best friend, uh, Ryuji in Persona 5 yeah. type character. And like their voices are going to be different, but the performances all come from a very similar place of like trying to embody and get at this set character that everyone knows that they're going to be going to, which is a very different style of acting than you get when it's then localized and you get like, you know, it's not better or worse when an English-speaking VA uh, takes on, say, the character of Ryoji and does it in a different way. It's just a different approach to what they're trying to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to linger a little bit more on uh, Persona. Yeah, it, uh, I'm gonna, Persona's I'm gonna... a great thing to talk about this <laughs> because, like, all of the characters are such, like... They're very breakfast clubby, yeah, and they... I think that le that leans itself very well into the topic. Oh yeah, one one of the examples I like to point to whenever I talk about this with people in real life is, um, am I not real to you? Well, I mean, like we've talked about this before. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I I really like Yuri Lowenthal. I've been a fan of him since I played he's... the Prince of Persia: Sands of Time. He's so good. He's such a PS2. fucking great voice actor. I love him. Hey, Yuri, uh, if you're listening, I love you and I want to collaborate with you. <laughs> that would be amazing. 
Everyone uh, tweet anyway. this at Yuri Lowenthal nonstop. <laughs> but anyway, um, so for those who do not know, uh, Yuri Lowenthal is a prolific voice actor in video games uh, and anime. What he is probably best known for today as of May 2019 is uh, he was the voice of Peter Parker slash Spider-Man in the new PS4 Spider-Man game. And, you know, that is basically, you know, Yuri Lowenthal being Yuri Lowenthal as Peter Parker, which is great. And one of my favorite performances by him is as Yosuke, who is Yuri Lowenthal as a kind of shithead 17-year-old high schooler who's, you know, a little chauvinistic and, you know, he he says and does some questionable stuff, but he's he's growing and I think there is a heart behind that character that makes that character work. On the flip side, if you play Persona 4 Wait, in... Wait, Yuri Lowenthal voiced Yusuke? Uh, not Yusuke, Yosuke. Yosuke in Persona 4, not Yusuke oh, in Persona okay. 5. Oh, okay, I was like, that hang on, really... wait a minute. <laughs> Yusuke was Matt Mercer. Oh, of course he was. <laughs> Matt Mercer, also a fantastic voice actor. Hey, Matt, invite me to be on Critical Role, I love you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, so, when, when you listen to the Japanese, um, Yosuke... He uh he he leans a lot more into the best friend character archetype where you know he's he's like a little he's got like this nasally quality to his voice you can you can kind of play the type of character that Yosuke is and you can play it to like an equivalent character in you know any anime right now I'm thinking of Code Geass uh which is an anime from 10 years ago that's actually We've, recently got re-released Yeah we we talked about that once before we yeah. we both we are both on the fence of like it's fine, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, there there's a character in that show called Rivel, and who is I believe voiced by a different character uh, by a different voice actor, but they both have very similar tones and intonations to their voices because, you know, that is the that is the archetype that is the type of feeling they are trying to get across to the audience. It is less about the actor living those moments and more about the actor's knowledge of this archetype and how they can best convey that. Yeah. What's really cool and what the Persona games in particular do a great job of is they begin with these stock characters. And if you're, Mm -hmm. if you're a Japanese speaker and you're familiar with these archetypes and you hear the voiceover, that's going to do a lot for it. But even if you're not, and you're just playing it, you know, playing the English version, you can kind of pick up like, Oh, this is the, you know, this is the popular schoolgirl. This is the troublemaking bad boy. This is the, you know, the long-suffering art student, whatever. And they start the characters out in these zones that, like, the audience can immediately understand because they're these stock characters that we're used to seeing in our media. But then what they do over the course of the story is they take that starting point, they take that character trope, and they use that as a building block upon which to, like, go in cool and unexpected directions in a way that would be much harder to do if they had to devote a lot of time to introducing, like, this is what it means to be this kind of character. <laughs> I think um, I'm gonna I'm gonna use one more example from Persona yeah, Four, and then we're gonna move on. But um, I think one of the biggest things is uh, the character of Chie from Persona, also from Persona Four. Um, Chie is this girl. She loves kung fu movies. She is very upbeat. Uh, I don't want to call her hyperactive, but like she has moments of being hyperactive. Um, she is. The, the Japanese archetype, or rather the American Western term for that Japanese archetype is the Genki girl. 
she's very upbeat she's filled with like energy and honestly she's all like that's almost a one-to-one comparison to the Columbina from Commedia dell'arte yeah the only uh, thing that it loses out on is like the class connotation that was there because Commedia was all about like class relationships yeah um and I, th- I think it still translates a little bit in Persona 4 specifically because um Chie is the best friend to a much more I don't want to call her regal but uh oh, that's so she's, cool <laughs> she's she's the yeah no she's the daughter of the the town's local inn owners, which is a very traditional inn with hot springs, and so it's like the town's one hot spot. Ooh, um, and so hot she's springs, you say? Yeah, so she's she's kind of the second banana to her best friend. So hey, I think Dylan, when are still... we gonna have the when are we gonna have the backstage gaming onsen episode? Uh, that's a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Patreon reward. Um, but she she's you know in her own way she does kind of fulfill that role of being the maid in that she is a the best friend character to a another character of a much higher social status. And so with that in mind, in the original English dub, uh, Chie was voiced by, I believe her name was Tracy Rooney. And I don't think Tracy Rooney has any other voiceover roles. I think she's done a couple live action things, but like nothing huge. At first you can tell it's kind of awkward, but she, she grows into the role later. But like that character is always Tracy Rooney voicing, it, it's basically her voice. She's not doing any affectations. She's she Chie feels like Tracy Rooney being Chie. Um, she didn't come back for the re-release or any of the sequels, though. So she was replaced by Aaron Fitzgerald, who is um a more prolific voice actor. I think she she was on Ed Ed and Eddie, um, and then she's been in like a ton of anime and video games since then. Aaron Fitzgerald, she really leans more into that hyperactive Genki girl. Like, Tracy Rooney uses her normal voice. Chie, or uh, Aaron Fitzgerald uses her upper registry like this. And she's always hyper and energetic and ready to go. Which is actually a lot closer to the the Japanese stock character that uh, the Japanese voice actress was going for. Yeah, and one more thing on this concept before let's head into our playbill and then... Mm-hmm come out the other side and talk about some of the weirder comparisons I want to try to make. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Um, on the topic of, because you were you were saying that one of the common critiques of English voice dubs of Japanese media is the loss of that sort of like stock character voiceover work. Mm-hmm. When American, or more specifically, or I guess more broadly, when English-speaking VAs and voice directors have attempted to go for that, it hasn't really worked out that well a lot of the time. I mean, sometimes it grows on you, but, like, I definitely get what you're saying. When, yeah, when... Like, like, sometimes it can be good. Like, I'm, I'm currently playing through Sekiro, and mm-hmm. boy howdy, there's a lot of what you're talking about in the Japanese voiceover, which was what I've been playing on. Mm-hmm. Um, in the English voiceover, they go for some big character choices that are, like not as immediately evocative of, like, a set trope, but, like, certainly help. Like, there's a guy you meet who's, like, a a shady grave robber type thing. And in the Japanese, he's given, like, this kind of, like, nasal drawling thing mm-hmm. and, like, talks very quickly, which I think is meant to, you know, give an indication of, like, you can't really trust him, what's he up to? In the English, the guy, the the voice actor playing him goes in on this, like, very fun, like, 
hey, buddy, kind of read. Like, it's not <laughs> as Brooklyn as I just did, but, like... Right, but it has that... It has that energy. Yeah, and there's an there's another one who who you meet, and he's just like, "Thanks for the tip about selling the rice to the soldiers. It really paid off for me. Check out what else I got in stock for you now, buddy." And it's like, it's great, and yeah. clearly that is coming from a place of like that same idea of like our our dialogue is at a minimum. We need to mm-hmm. be able to like indicate who this character is pretty quickly. Let's lean on that. On the other side of things, you get things like, and we're, I'm going to bring it up again. We talked about it before, Metroid Other M, mm, which okay. Like, I was afraid you were gonna start dunking on like an anime like Fooly Cooly, and I'm oh like, no no right, no no I love there. like I love what Fooly Cooly does with uh <laughs> their voiceover. It's phenomenal and like another very good example of how to do this kind of thing well. Uh, but part of that is that it's going for a very hyper stylized thing. Yeah. So it, the very over the top English English language voiceover the way fits they stress their syllables like a Japanese voice actor would. Yeah, it it fits with the overall stylization. Everyone go watch Fooly Cooly. It's fucking great. Um, <laughs> but then you get something like Metroid Other M, where like they're going in the Japanese, as I understand it, for giving Samus a very stock character type voice. The 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 Japanese voice actress gives her a sort of monotone not particularly varied in terms of tempo or pitch voice delivery because that's leaning into an unestablished Japanese character archetype. The term I used in a previous episode was uh, kudere, which is like, dere means like girl, um, and ku I think means stoic. Uh, I could be wrong, let me double check that real quick. But um, it it really is leaning into that archetype of like a woman who is just very stoic, um, okay, actually, I have the definition up right here in the dairy, the dairy types wikia, which is a thing. <laughs> oh, that is a cursed portion of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a kudere, sometimes written as, uh, don't worry about that, uh, refers to a character who is often cold, blunt, and cynical. Okay, so that might not be right, but uh, they may seem very emotionless on the outside, but on the inside, they're very caring, which I think that is that is closer to what I was going for when yeah, I absolutely. was describing Samus. But the issue is that is not a known archetype in a lot of Western media in the same way. Um, like, actually, yes... uh, I'm on TV tropes right now. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I keep cutting you off. No, you, no go for it. But, keep um, me from bullshitting. So uh, another, a great resource for these stock anime types. I'm, I'm joking, by the way. Uh, I feel like there's an academic page out there somewhere, but this is not it. Yeah. Um, but I'm on TV tropes right now, and you know they have a page that is just a link to all their tropes pages for stock character archetypes, specifically of the anime variety. <laughs> and uh, what Samus, as she is in Metroid Other M, kind of falls into the Rei Ayanami XB. Uh, Rei Ayanami being that definitely pronounced that wrong, but uh, she's a character from Neon Genesis Evangelion who just has a blank face and a very monotone voice rarely outwardly shows emotions, appears emotionless, quiet, stoic, or otherwise odd, uh, a tendency towards uh, talking in Spock-speak, monotone <laughs> robo-speak, or a combination thereof. Mm, um, Spock-speak. Yes. <laughs> is not quite human, which Samus is part alien, so yeah. Uh, she, oh, this is interesting, uh, suffers a major injury or illness, or is at least frequently hospitalized. Which, like, Samus isn't, but she does... I think one of her first big monologues is her waking up on a hospital bed. (laughs) TV Tropes is a fucking rabbit hole, my dude. 
it is. Uh, so I'm closing out of there. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I, I just I thought that was worth uh, diving into. Yeah. But like that character, like there are characters that fit a lot of that description in plenty of Western media. But like that's not a known like, oh, that Seinfeld character type thing <laughs> in the same way that a lot of the more useful cultural touchstones would be in western me media Kramer is not a stock an <laughs> archetype in and of himself <laughs> i mean he's basically arlecchino <laughs> um but so you end up with this problem where the voice a- the voice actor and the voice director for metroid of the rem clearly tried to fit the english language read of samus into that type but because english-speaking audiences didn't immediately have that reference to go to Mm-hmm. Or at least did not necessarily have that reference to go to in the same way that the Japanese-speaking audience would hearing that voiceover. It just made it feel monotone, and it just made it feel, like, unimportant and boring. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's sort of the danger with this kind of thing, is you need to strike a balance between leaning Something on the Something that is the relatable arch- to English ears, while yeah. also kind of capturing the spirit of what this archetype is about yeah you need to you need to be aware of like is this archetype going to translate to the audience that we're localizing for and if not then that's when you want to go to a more naturalistic reading or switch to a different archetype that the audience will be familiar with but now feels like a good time yeah i think it's a good time for the playbill crack open the playbill and then we'll come back with some real weird stuff so join us on the other side of the music I'm entering, I'm editing in music, you plebe. I know, but it's funnier when I pretend like I can hear it. (laughs) So, Dylan, speaking of anime and stock characters, do you have a thing you want to talk to me about? Oh, I sure do. If you you like what I'm talking about with all this anime business, and who doesn't like anime now in the year of our Lord 2019, you should check out- Tokyo Japan, anime, it's the best. Oh, man. I love Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> we should get him on the podcast. Yo, Michael B. Jordan, get at us! <laughs> anyway, um... Welcome okay. to our plug hour. If you... Yeah, it's gonna take an hour at the rate we're going. If you <laughs> if you like anime, uh, me and Chris and I, our mutual friend, Coop, absolute dreamboat, Coop, uh, oh. we are doing a podcast on the 80s mecha anime... Uh, SDF Macross. So we talk about like this kind of intersection of Japanese pop culture, science fiction, the military. Right now, Coop and I are kind of tugging our collars where it's like, how much of this show is military worship and how much of it is kind of a commentary on the military's place in society? We're still trying to figure that out. That's an interesting conversation to have, so you should listen to us at anchor.fm slash dude you remember. That is D-U-D-E because our podcast is called Dude, you remember Macross. Uh, we are now on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. You should give us those five stars if you listen. Um, and you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash Dude, you remember. And our Twitter handle is at Dude, you remember. Yeah, you should also go and check out the podcast, The Unexplored Places. It's an actual play podcast uh, game mastered by our friend Christine, who appeared on an earlier episode of our show. It's super fun. It's super spooky. They're wrapping up season one now and heading towards season two, which uh, 
I'm going to be involved with, and Dylan, are you going to be in season two? I'm still not sure. Um, gotcha. I'd like to be, but I, I, I'm not sure if I'll be able to. Yeah, that's that's to, that's where I was until a couple days ago. So okay. Uh, but Dylan and I are also both doing stuff with them for their Patreon content and their filler episodes to fill out between season one and season two. So you should totally go give them a look. They also just are really like everyone else involved in the show is also super good and super fun to listen to. So you should give them a listen. They are at unexploredpodcast.libsyn.com or you can find them on Twitter at unexploredcast. I've got like three more really quick plugs to throw out for just other podcasts that will feature my voiceover work in the near to distant future uh you should check out unwell a midwestern gothic mystery it's a fun spooky audio drama that was made by another alum of dylan in my school and features some really like absolutely mind-blowing audio editing like holy shit i want to sit down with the the sound engineers they worked with and just learn from them um but i'm going to be in the last episode of that coming up in a few weeks you can find them on spotify on itunes or at twitter.com their handle is at unwell podcast you should also be on the lookout for two upcoming audio dramas, The Godshead Incidental, which is on Twitter at GodsheadPod, in which I play a neurotic mess, and The Lockups, which is on Twitter at LockupsPodcast, in which I play a jerky narc. Um, <laughs> and before we get back into the episode, just a reminder that this show is brought to you by you, the listeners, via our Patreon page. Uh, we are currently at the point where we are like $3 away from our first monthly goal which is rad, um, and at which point we are no longer going to be losing money on this thing, which is super fucking cool. We have to do a shout-out to, we have a new patron at the $5 a month level, our friend Dalton. Thank you, Dalton, for your support. We love you so much. God bless you, Dalton. Uh, and here's your shout-out, as promised, on the website. And if you want a shout-out or want a postcard or want some bonus content when we start putting that out, I'm still working on editing together the first uh, the first blooper reel because, boy, howdy, there's a lot of audio for me to sift through. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you should go and check us out at patreon.com slash bsgpod it would mean the world to us if you were able to offer any support at all uh, and just help show your love for a couple of independent artist boys trying to make it in this big bad capitalist world anything else Dylan? Uh, no I think I'm good Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Rad. Let's get back into the weird stuff. We um, like the weird stuff. <laughs> thank you for picking up my reference. <laughs> um, so I want to throw out a very weird take. Okay. I was looking um, at actually, like... Actually, before we do that, can I do one thing real quick? Oh, yeah, please. Do what you got to um, do. So I don't know everything about Japanese theater. I know very little about no, and I feel I know very little about kabuki theater. Um, but the one thing I do know at least a little bit about, partially because it was discussed in Ace Attorney, but also partially because I had a friend who actually saw a performance, um, there is the Rakugo, or rather, uh, I can't, I can't say Japanese R's without rolling my tongue. It's very hard. Uh, Raku, but, Rakugo, because it's like, it's almost yeah, an L, I... but not quite. Um, but anyway, the Rakugo, ah, fuck, whatever, uh, Rakugo <laughs> performance, <laughs> uh, where... It is a lone storyteller sitting on a stage, 
and they are doing a they are telling a story but they when a character is talking they are performing as that character and they will have a prop and they will handle the prop differently in Ace Attorney the character uses a fan and like he holds the fan differently and does different affectations and has different mannerisms when he is embodying different characters so he will That's use or they will use that stock archetype to really kind of cement like who is talking at any given moment. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm they, excited they, to start they, playing Ace Attorney. I bought the they, trilogy on Steam the other day. Awesome! I'm excited. D Train, rather Dalton, who we just name dropped, is on the third game, and he's been loving it. The when the storyteller is giving these performances, they are sitting in the middle of the stage on their knees they don't really move their lower body it is all in like the face and the hands and it, it is a performance entirely given by their upper body that's so cool i i love and there's gonna be a little bit of attention but i love acting challenges like that yeah like one of it's part of the reason i love voiceover is that like you it removes the crutch of like physicality and facial expression and like all you have to go on is your voice which is a very fun challenge yeah but also like one of my favorite things i ever got to do uh in school was there was a an acting like a, a unit in one of the acting classes i took where i and my partner were doing a scene from uh the ancient greek play iphigenia at taurus and i played the character of orestes and in the scene i was being like prepped for sacrifice we were like hey what if we did this whole scene with you, like, with your hands tied behind your back on your knees? And I just did a whole scene in one spot, bound on my knees, and it was, like, one of the most fun acting things That's I ever so got cool. to do. That's so cool. It was really okay. fucking cool. Anyway, so let's get back I, into, like, I, our actual topic. I um, did just see this. Uh, the difference between the characters is depicted only through change in pitch, tone, and a slight turn of the head. Yo, that's fucking rad. Yeah, it's it's really cool stuff. Oh, that's so cool, man! I'm I'm geeked. I want to go. I want to go learn everything I can about no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not no. That's uh, Rakugo. Oh, gotcha. Uh, no, I'm still trying to learn about that. Yeah. So I'll look that up later. Hey, I'm gonna throw this same plug out that I think I threw out in like episode two. If any of you listeners are experts in Japanese theater arts, get at us and get on this show. <laughs> It'd be fucking rad. But I want to take a moment like we can i don't have a ton left to talk about that's like concrete but i have one mm. theory that i want to dive into a little bit yeah let's do it so there's this idea of the lotsi that i talked about earlier that that like stock joke or stock like comedic moment that the actors can just like pull out of their hats if they see the situation arise or if they feel like it would resonate well with the audience and that had me thinking about customizable automation in games Okay. Uh, in particular, it got me thinking about some of the modern Final Fantasy games have a system where you can program the AI of your companions. This is specifically 12 I'm going to yeah. throw out right now. <laughs> yeah, that's. I knew it was in 12. I wasn't sure if it was in other games. 13 has something like it, but it takes a lot of uh, the control out of the player. Uh, rather than doing if-then statements... Um, Final Fantasy 13 has you basically assign a character a job. Um, or rather, for the team, the three-person team, uh, you will have a preset that is like, this character is the medic, this character is a mage, and this character does buffing or whatever. And then you can switch between presets, and that will change what those characters do, but it's okay. completely automated. Which is interesting, but it's not quite as uh, 
in-depth as Final Fantasy twelve. Yeah, so in twelve, your part you have a party that, you know, starts at like two mm-hmm. or one and grows to what, like a half dozen different potential party members? Yeah. Um in um, twelve in twelve it's a half dozen, yeah. Yeah. And you can have what, three of them active at a time or four? Three. Uh That's what three I plus the guest character, if there is one. Yeah. And so those party members you can pick from your group and Final Fantasy 12 has an absolutely ridiculous amount of customization available to It also you. was just released on Switch and Xbox One. <laughs> Dylan, are you falling down a hole? Yes, I'm falling down a hole called Final Fantasy 12. <laughs> calling down falling down a hole called the pile of copies of Final Fantasy 12 that you own. I own 3 copies of Final Fantasy 12. <laughs> um <laughs> But so you you have a lot of customization both in like the specific skills and like what your characters can use item wise, but then you can also customize what the characters will actually do in combat. Yes. So you are always at least nominally in full control of one of the characters. Yes. And so the other two characters that are active, you can go in and there's a menu where you can lay out like this character I have specced out as a healer. So if any other character drops below 40% health, I will have them cast a healing spell. Mm-hmm. And if that's not true, I'll have them cast this, like, one of this suite of party buff spells. Or if there's, if, you know, if they start to fall low on mana, I'll have them use a mana item. Or, like, you can craft all of these, like, situational things that the characters will do. Yeah. Like, um, you, you're basically creating a series of if-then statements, and then you sort them based on priority. Yeah, and it's it's a very cool system that lets you have a lot of control, so you can basically craft the way that your characters will approach situations. You can craft Lotsi for them. Like, yeah. you'll have this character who knows, like, oh, if this situation comes up, I will do this se- this sequence of actions to rectify it. Actually, you know what? That's funny, because I think that is one thing that FF13 does really well, is that, like, you know, you you have, like, these preset, like situations or you know rather you are reacting to situations with these preset teams and abilities um and really it is you as the player or the director um who kind of dictates the flow of when to switch from one lotsy using air quotes uh to another and then that's also taps into that same concept of like you've got all of these set things that you can fall back on, but at the end of the day, if that's not working, you can just assume full control and start issuing your own commands and sort of improv it on the fly if you realize that your set maneuvers are not going to get the job done in a particular combat encounter. And just like that, I think, is such a cool blending of, like, like Final Fantasy Twelve is, like, partially kind of a programming simulator in what you tell your characters to do but then one that you can override and just be like no fuck it get get in the backseat i'm driving (laughs) yeah yeah and like this is a stretch like i'm not saying like ah final fantasy 12's creators were looking at commedia dell'arte and decided to use the lazzi system (laughs) like that's of course not true yeah but the similarity there is cool and the fact that like you've got you can sort of see it as you're building your own book of stock things to do that you I mean, can then flip through as necessary to like if, if adjust we on the fly this real quick like even um persona from three onward and the tales series they also have uh 
options to tweak. They're not as in-depth as uh, Final Fantasy twelve or thirteen, and they don't always work like they should. But um, <laughs> in Persona 3 specifically, like if you want a character to focus primarily on healing, even if they can deal super damage against an enemy, you can do that. Um, if you want an uh, if you want an ally to solely focus on exploiting enemy weaknesses, that is an option. So it's it's not quite the same, but it's kind of you know you're still it's still a read of the situation and being like, all right, so if we do things like this, this will be the smoothest way to get through this encounter. I think it's cool when games sort of put together all of these weird disparate, like seemingly disparate ideas, but find a way to mesh them together in a way that complements each other. Yeah. In a way that is very reminiscent of like a lot of the art forms that spawned out of Commedia dell'arte. Like, who would think it would be fun to watch a bunch of characters who never change do things over and over again? Well... Some of the most popular TV shows of the last few decades have been sitcoms. Let's, That's uh, that. <laughs> let's be real real quick. Uh, Commedia dell'arte is really just a theatrical roguelike. <laughs> <laughs> That's really not wrong. <laughs> That's the name of our episode now, theatrical roguelike. <laughs> we got there. Are you sure it's not Commedia dell'arte? <laughs> 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 All right, uh, that'll probably more or less wrap us up. That feels like a pretty nice button. Um, but yeah, before we so. before we fully wrap up, I'm going to introduce a new section called Dad Book, which is where I just share funny things my dad shared on Facebook uh, <laughs> because I've got a gem sitting in front of me. Okay, I guess. So a little background info. For some reason, the town I grew up in of Marshall, Michigan still has a fucking operational family video. I don't know how. I don't know what dark packed with a demon the operators of this family video undertook to keep in business. But I have a better idea now because my dad shared on Facebook, and I quote, So, family video in Marshall is now selling CBD oil. <laughs> <laughs> Which might be the most on-brand thing I've ever heard. Pick up your rented, vi your rented DVD and copy of an Xbox 360 game and a little bit of pot juice while you're there sure this has been dad book we'll never be hearing from dad book again <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening to backstage gaming we hope you sure. had fun listening to us like contrive this episode <laughs> into existence but we certainly had fun doing the research and putting it together um, i think we made it work better than if we didn't put any work into oh that's it. <laughs> certainly true this episode <laughs> would not have flown at all if we used our usual winging it method um so Thank you again for listening. Uh, if you like what we're doing, you can check us out at bsgpod.com. That is our website. We've got all of our episodes there. We've also got bios and a contact form so you can get in touch with us. Uh, and if you like what we do, feel free to check us out. We're on all of your favorite podcatchers. And if you enjoy what we're doing, consider leaving a rating, leaving a review, uh, talking us up to your friends, helping us grow, and helping us thrive. We love you. Also, you should check us out on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at BSG underscore cast. And, you know, you can comment on our YouTube videos if that's more your thing. If you like what we're, if you like or hate what we talk about, you can spread the word about how awful we are or how <laughs> wonderful we are with the hashtag BSG pod. Huge, huge <laughs> thanks to our friend Brennan French for our key art. 
if you like the art that he has done for us, you should check out his other stuff on his Squarespace, brendanfrench.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphen French.squarespace.com. You can also check him out on Instagram at uh, brendanfrencharts, no hyphen, just the whole thing. Brendan the French whole Arts. thing, the whole Brennan French. Just the whole Brennan we, French. We make sure here at Backstage Gaming to use every part of the Brennan French in our work. <laughs> um, thank you also to our friend BioQuery for the use of our theme song, Dots on Radio Volume 1, Instrumentality. He's a super co- great musician, producer, composer. He's got a lot of really cool electronica out. You can find his music at his SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash bioquery. That's soundcloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or by searching him on Spotify, look up bioquery. He actually just this past week put out, it's not him, it's another friend of ours from college who, uh, or a couple friends of ours from college who have a band under the name Runner. That's R-U-N-N-N-E-R. Uh, but BioQuery is featured as a uh, synth artist and vocalist on their newest track, Frame, which is like I've been listening to on repeat because it's really fucking good. Cool. Uh, so show some love to Runner on Spotify as well. And one more time, thank you again to all of our Patreon patrons. Uh, it means the world to us that you are supporting us. We're also like so, so, so close to that first milestone, at which point we'll be putting out a Patreon bonus episode uh, of the topic of your choice. So like help us get to that last latch, and then you'll get to listen to a cool uh, exclusive episode. That's, again, patreon.com slash bsgpod. Dylan, anything else to throw out? I got nothing. I got nothing either. Thank you all for listening. And remember, Commedia Del Farts. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.